morning. It's a beautiful uh, spring morning out there. It's uh, this time of year. It's great to see um, uh, kind of things come back to life after a winter. You know, um, God's creation coming to life, flowers and and uh, the sun. Days are warming up, so that's. Uh, that's great to see this time of year. <clears throat> this morning I'd like to uh, read from uh, Psalms 23. <clears throat> the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, this this chapter is referring to us as sheep and and the Lord as a shepherd. So as we go through the verse, we we do want to keep in keep this in mind uh, because I think it'll make it easier to understand if we look at it from that perspective. Um, verse one. The the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He he is our shepherd, and with him as our shepherd, we we won't need more. Uh, he will provide for our needs. Uh, I think sometimes we in our lives we tend to uh, look look at something or a situation that's overwhelming, and uh, in our human minds we're like it's too much. It, can't be enough, it's not going to work out, uh, but it makes it clear that this should not be a concern if we have uh, faith and trust in him. He makes me lie down in green pastures, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. Um, as, a, as, a, as for sheep, this sounds absolutely amazing, amazing. Uh, nice green grass to lay down in. Uh, once nicely rested, um, led by the, uh, alongside the water. Um, I'd like to try to kind of paint a picture in our own, in our mind this morning of this uh, peaceful place. Uh, we could picture ourselves uh, sitting in a, uh, sitting under a tree, uh, in the shade of a tree in a, in a green pasture. Um, might we might picture a couple of birds overhead uh, chirping in the tree, sitting in the, uh, in the branches. Um, we could uh, think of catching a, a hint of the smell of maybe clo clover flowers that we happen to be sitting in. Um, it's, a, it's a warm summer day on, uh, with uh, maybe a gentle breeze um, to keep, keep the... Uh, the bugs away, the mosquitoes away, feels good. Um, so yeah, overall it would be kind of, you know, a nice summer day. Um, maybe here in New York we might say sometime in the month of 
June, mid beginning, mid June. <clears throat> anyway, if um, if we do find ourselves in a tough situation, we do have to remember that this is the this is the green pasture. This is beside the still water. Uh, he will guide us through. Uh, at the moment, it might not seem like uh, the green pasture, um, but um, if it wouldn't be for him leading us, um, directing us, we couldn't begin to under comprehend the, the situation uh, without him. Um, so we do want to look unto him for as as our as our shepherd. Um, verse three: He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Again, if we if we trust him in him, uh, he restores our soul. He leads us in in the path of of righteousness. Verse four: Yea, though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Um, there is there is certainly much evil and sin around us, um, probably most of the time, um, even if it's only a shadow, not exactly visible to us we might uh, might not be aware of it of the evils that are lurking around um, but it goes on to say for you are my rod for you are with me your rod and your staff will comfort me um, the the shepherd's rod would be used for protect protection and discipline uh, to fight off the evil evil threat um, and to guide us through uh, guide us to the uh, to the the right path. <clears throat> Verse five: You pre prepare a, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil; my cup runneth over. Looking at this verse, we might uh, look at it um, like a shepherd. Um, making the uh, pasture safe for the flock by maybe removing some the brush, the, the rocks, the, yeah, the weeds, um, so that the green grass can grow and wouldn't be choked out by the weeds and the thorns. Um, also, by, by removing the brush and the rocks and things like that, it would, be, uh, it would make for less cover for the enemy. Uh, and in a um, shepherd's case, that's... In yeah, in the shepherd's case and and his sheep, that might be you know, um, some wild animals, some maybe some deadly snakes, things like that. Verse six: Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here again, looking at it from the. Uh, perspective of the shepherd his and his sheep. Um, the shepherd would take care of the flock, uh, and by doing so, he would give the best to the flock uh, and would be merciful to the, the lost sheep by bringing him back into the fold. Um, so the shepherd would be looking out for the goodness, goodness of his flock. Um, and with the, with the shepherd's guidance like that, uh, the flock would be uh, thrilled and delighted to, to dwell in the house of the Lord. So uh, let us uh, let us trust in the Lord. Uh, he He is our shepherd. He knows our every need. Even when times are hard or we're faced with a challenge, even if it 
it seems like there's no way we we might not be be able to see the the big picture at the time uh, but God can and uh, he he does know what's best God bless Father in heaven, we thank you that this morning you are King of Kings, you are Lord of Lords. We thank you that we can be here this morning as a group to worship you, to look into what your word says for our lives. Bless Lester as he leads out this morning, that our hearts can be open and our minds can hear. I ask your blessing on the service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Greetings to each one of you again this morning. Thankful to be a part of this body of believers. I'm thankful for your presence here, and especially to God for what he has done. And I trust this morning that it is because of him that, that you come here. This is what draws you here again and again. My sermon this morning is titled, A Life-Giving Church. A subject that I've been thinking about and a couple things maybe that, that make me, that were drawing my mind toward this subject. Um, as, as a church, I think we're kind of in a growth phase right now. We have new people coming in. We're, we're very aware of this in our instruction class with giving instruction to new believers and, and a baptismal coming up, as well as... Um, yeah, we're we're in a growth phase, and and we're we're thinking about changes in the church. Also, with, with our our leadership transfer, um, I feel like there's more responsibility being given to me to um, to carry lead the church into the future. And as I think about that, um, I, I I think I I'm thinking more. Um, more visionary at times at what what the future holds and how will we how will we get to um, or how will we continue to be a life giving church and, and be a, a, a church that, that continues to stand for the truth um, I'm taking my sermon um, a, a lot of the, the text here is going to be out of the book of second Corinthians so you, you can turn there a while if you if you want to Second um, Corinthians, and I'm going to be drawing just kind of verses from here and there, parts of that. But I've been reading through here a good bit in the last weekend, and I'm seeing a, a theme here. Second um, Corinthians, Paul Paul addresses a, a wide variety of different things to the church there, and there's a lot of subjects that that we can turn to this letter. We can turn to this letter here that Paul wrote to, to find instruction on a lot of different things, but kind of an, an overwhelming um, inspiration here, I think, as, as he wrote this, was that he wanted to see the church be alive. He was addressing a church that struggled. Um, and we, we can see that if we read 1 Corinthians also from some of the things that, that we can read about there. They were far from a perfect church. They were far from... Um, a, a, an example church maybe that Paul could use as, as an example to others. Um, he had to correct them. He had to be stern with them at times. 
But um, he really was encouraging them to, to be a life-giving church, to be a church that would grow and be alive. Um, there's, there's three verses there that I like to read kind of as an introduction that I see as maybe the theme verse of this, but a number of other passages too that I'll be turning to. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through, through 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. What do I mean by a life-giving church? I want to clarify that. Um, a life-giving church, I think, is a church where, where a church that displays and reflects the glory of God. Just to put it in, in one simple phrase, a church that displays and reflects the glory of God. He says in chapter two, verses fourteen and fifteen. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's a life-giving church. That's what the life-giving church does. It gives off a fragrance of the knowledge of God, both to the saved and to the unsaved. Some people appreciate that, some people don't. He goes on to say that. Those who are, are being saved will benefit from that fragrance. Those who are not being saved may very well despise it. But the church, a life-giving church, will give off that fragrance of the knowledge of God in every place. In a life-giving church, the way we relate to each other promotes spiritual life. That's what we mean by life-giving. The way we, we relate to each other promotes spiritual life. There's this saying about... Um, that there's two ways to have the biggest house in town. You may have well heard this before. One way is to tear every other house down. Another way is to simply build a big house and focus on building a big house. And I think I'd like to translate that a little bit into the life-giving church. There's two ways we can be a life-giving church. Well, really, there's only one way, but we sometimes may be deceived by thinking there's two ways. We can kill every other church, so to speak, and be the only church alive that's left, but really a life-giving church will focus on, on giving life, on, on the life that Christ gives and reflecting that, that glory of God to the world. And then it doesn't really matter what the churches around us, uh, well, it should matter to some extent because we care about the name of Christ and, and what other Christians, how they're living, but we're not competing with other churches. We're simply, our goal is to, to give life, to give the life that Christ has given us. And if the, the church down the road is doing the same thing, then all the better. In this life-giving church, there is what I call a life cycle. Oh, we, we're probably familiar with the plant cycle, the different cycles maybe that, that plants go through. And especially if you have a garden or if you're a farmer. Um, so I'm, I'm going to use that as a bit of an illustration and comparing it with a life-giving church. There's a life cycle of a plant. 
Um, there's, there's different stages it goes through. There's different things that it gives off. There's different things it takes in. And, and it, in the end, it, you know, it reproduces life. That's what I mean by the life cycle. So we know that, that a plant needs sunlight and it needs rain and it needs soil. It, it takes in that sunlight and, and it can, takes in um, carbon dioxide and it gives off oxygen, right? Through that process of photosynthesis. It takes in carbon dioxide and gives off oxygen. It benefits from that carbon dioxide and other life around it benefits from the oxygen that it gives off. It also needs nutrients from the soil that it takes up through the roots. And, and again, the plant also contributes to the life in the soil that then helps reproduce or helps other plants to live also. And of course, there's the fruit that contains the seed that also reproduces. All this is part of this cycle of where plants grow, they die, other plants grow, and, and it continues on and on. And that's a little bit how it should be in the church. We, we go through different phases. Um, people come and go, and, but the church must continue on. A life-giving church must continue on from one generation to the next. I think back to when this church started. I wasn't here, but, but I've heard about it, and some of you were a part of the church back then. To those of, of you who, who came here to start a church, you came here expecting that there would be a, a life-giving church. You came here, even at that time, expecting also to receive something, I think. If, if we would ask Aaron and Susie and Rebecca and Jocelyn Rachel, some of the other ones who were here in those early days, you came to church at Crystal Valley expecting to be spiritually fed, expecting to receive something. But you also knew, were very aware, that that was going to require that you give something similar to the plant life cycle. So I have some critical components of the life cycle of a church. And I want to just, first of all, spend some time thinking about that fact that, that there has to be giving and there has to be receiving. Just as a plant gives off oxygen, takes in carbon dioxide, gives off fruit, takes in nutrients out of the soil... The same cycle needs to be working in the life-giving church. So we all come to church, I believe, expecting to receive something. Probably if you didn't have that expectation, you probably wouldn't even come. You'd decide, what, I might as well stay at home, read the Bible, pray. I can have my relationship with God. But you, you come here expecting to receive something. That's not wrong. However... Nothing will be received when you come here if somebody doesn't give. So it's that cycle that needs to continue. And also, we don't receive and give at the same time or in the same way all the time. There's um, diversity of gifts that the scripture talks about. God gifts people in different ways that some can give this, others can't give this, but, but they can give something else. Some people need to be receiving what another person is able to give. The diversity of gifts that, that God intentionally gave to us, and he intentionally designed the church to operate this way, that, that we're all different, but we need each other. We don't all receive and give at the same time or in the same way. There's also, of course, different what I call seasons of life. There's some of you um, have 
children to take care of, and, and you can't do all the things in the church that some of the others can. There's some of you that have responsibilities outside of church that, that keep you from, from doing what others are. And, of course, we have to determine whether those other things are what priority they take, but there's, there's things outside of church that are important. And there's different roles in the church, different responsibilities that you're given. When we have our re-election twice a year and, and you get assigned new responsibilities, some are you know, half a year, some are a year, some are longer than that. So there's a time when you give and a time when you um, receive from the different roles. We also realize that in this giving and receiving cycle that either one without the other will lead to the suppression and the stagnation and eventually death of a church. Either one without the other, uh, both in the church and in your personal lives. You can't always be giving and you can't only be receiving. Either one is not good for our health. Just like a plant, again, it has to be giving and receiving. If, if you take a plant and, and cover it up so it can't get any sunlight, you know what, what's going to eventually happen. That plant's going to kind of shrivel up, and it, it's, it, it may survive, but it just isn't going to look the same after a while if it doesn't have that sunlight. Um, the same way if you take the plant, pull it right out of the soil and just lay it on top of the ground. It, it's going to affect the plant and probably eventually it will die. And water as well. It, it constantly needs that, that watering. So either one giving or receiving, either one without the other will suppress the life within the church. We need our, our personal devotional time. And we've, been, we've emphasized that in instruction class uh, we, had, we had one lesson on that, the importance of that, how that personal time with God and taking in in that time what, what God is, is teaching us is important so that we then also have something to give. Different roles in the church, of course, sometimes require more giving or, or more receiving. And those who are, are giving need to realize the danger of 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 overgiving or not receiving, not taking the time to also receive. I think this is maybe especially critical for pastors. And, and one of the, the things that, that I can appreciate about the way our church um, is set up is our plural ministry, where we have multiple pastors. And, and I listen to more sermons than what I preach. And that's a way of me receiving and not only giving. I, it's not that way in all churches, and, and it doesn't even when it's not that way, it doesn't mean that pastor is going to shrivel up and not be healthy. But you have, we have to find ways, whatever our responsibilities are, even if they seem like it's demanding a lot of giving, we need to find ways to also receive. <clears throat> Turn with me to 2 Corinthians now. I want to pick out a few of these passages in here where we see this life-giving Cycle this, this giving and receiving that's happening, and how that Paul is encouraging them in that. We see it first of all in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. 
who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our consolation, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. We receive comfort so that we can also give comfort, is what he's encouraging them with there. I'm not sure what kind of difficulties they were all experiencing, what kind of persecution they, they were all facing at that time or, or suffering, but Paul is reminding them that, that even through this, you, you are receiving comfort so that you can then also give comfort to others. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then he who, then who is he who makes me glad, but the one who may, was made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Um, if we look at the whole context of this letter, like I said earlier, there were some difficult things that Paul had to address to that church. There was some sin happening there that he had to confront. And there were some things, difficult things they had to deal with. But he's telling them here that, you know, I, I don't want to overwhelm you. I don't want to make you too sorrowful because you know, when you're joyful, that also gives me joy. And my joy is the joy of you all. We find, we, we find joy in the church when we see others overcoming, not when we see them burdened down with sin. So, so we need to confront that sin, but at the same time, do it carefully in a way um, like Paul here, you don't want to overwhelm people with sorrow. When we have to confront sin, we should do it in a way that, that we, we're encouraging that person or those people to, to be overcomers, to then experience victory. And then that completes that cycle or we can receive joy from that. In chapter 4, verse 1, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy. We do not lose heart. The ministry he's referring to, um, going back to chapter 3, the ministry of, of the gospel, of righteousness, I think he calls it in chapter 3. Uh, that, that ministry that, that we have to, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to teach of um, his righteousness, we also receive mercy. We don't, we don't lose heart because we have received as we're giving. We have received the mercy of God. And because we receive from him, we can also give. And in one more example, in chapter 8, Paul is specifically talking to them about sharing in, in financially with other churches. But this could be applied, um, the principle here could be applied in other ways as well, in, in giving to others. In chapter 8, verse 14, he says, But by an equality, that now this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. So he was encouraging them to, to, to lift an offering to help another church in need. And he's saying, you know, right now you have enough, you can give, you can supply their need. 
And there may be a time coming when you're on the receiving end of this. And somebody else's um, abundance may supply what you are lacking. These are just some of the examples of, of we see in here of how Paul is encouraging them to be a life-giving church, a church that gives and receives. There is, there is um, several other important things with this giving and receiving. Now, I, I think that people who, are, who do not have a relationship with Christ, non-Christians, unbelievers, also give and receive a lot. Um, and they can do that very well. But however, often the motives are different. And, and many times uh, we find this coming into our lives as well. We're, we're willing to give as long as we know that you know, in some way we're going to get back what we just gave away. Um, and I don't think that's the, the motive that Paul is promoting here to this church. And there's two critical components of this giving and receiving cycle that I'd like for us to think about that I think if we, if we make this an important part of our lives, then, then our giving and receiving is going to be done in, in a very different way than what the world may give or receive. It won't be just looking out for the benefit that we get when we receive or when we give. But <clears throat> these two critical components are our sufficiency in Christ. And, and he brings this out here in Second Corinthians again. We'll look at several verses there. The sufficiency we have in Christ or the supply that, that God has given to us or is willing to give to us when we need it. The, the psalm that was read this morning, Psalm 23, where it says, um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, another way uh, of, of interpreting that maybe is that I am lacking nothing in Christ. As, with Christ as my shepherd, I am lacking nothing. That's the sufficiency of Christ. And the second one is, there's a requirement of death to ourselves. So let's begin by looking at the critical component of relying on the sufficiency of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, to use an example from a plant, we know that the plants won't survive without sunlight and rain. A farmer posted this recently, and I thought it was interesting. Um, despite all our accomplishments, we owe our existence to six-inch layer of topsoil and the fact that it rains. Farmers understand this, if, if probably all of us do, but in a different way because it's such a big part of their livelihood. There's all these, these things that farmers can do, fertilizing, spraying, controlling weeds, uh, building up the soil, all these things they can do, and, and you know, equipment to do it all efficiently. But without, without rain, the plants won't grow. Without six inches of topsoil and rain, which the farmer really has no control over, the plants won't grow. The church is the same way. We depend upon Christ. There's, there's no other way we can accomplish what he has called us to do without relying upon him. Through Christ, we receive everything we need. John 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I think I'm going to just read these 18 verses here. And I want you to notice how he talks about depending upon Christ and where we um, get our life from. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, on the heart. For we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of, of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We come to church expecting to receive, but we will only receive what satisfies if Christ is present there. Um, here, Paul is just telling them, in, in, a, in a way here, I think Paul is defending himself some against the accusations that, that he wasn't really um, equipped as an apostle. But he was telling them, reminding them that it, it's not him. It, it's the, the, what Christ has done through him. It's the sufficiency from God in verse 5. We're not sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. He's reminding them that, that, it's, that it's only through Christ that, that he is who he is. And their, life, their lives, as their lives are transformed, they become a, a witness to that, that, that it's Christ working through Paul. It's not, it's not Paul himself. He also talks about the life-giving spirit and how that we are transformed by that spirit, that Christ living within us, because God is no longer, or Christ is no longer present here today in the world, but he gave us his spirit to live within us. That is life-giving. To rely on the sufficiency of Christ means we must have that spirit living within us, that life-giving spirit. There's those whose minds are blinded, who, who have a veil over their face, because they ha are refused to acknowledge 
that Christ came. He, there was Jews at this time who, who were not ready to accept that fact that Christ was their Messiah. And he's saying they're, they're veiled. They can't see. They're blinded. They haven't accepted Christ. We have to rely on the sufficiency of Christ and have his life-giving spirit within us. If we're going to be able to continue this giving and receiving cycle. I also like to notice the words he uses in um, verse 11 there. And well, 9, 9 through 11, he talks about what's coming being so much more glorious. The new covenant, what, what, what God has in store for us today, what he brought to us through Christ is so much more glorious than, than what the Old Testament had under the Old Covenant. There's something more glorious. And as we, as we learn to know what that is and understand it, that glorious plan of salvation, the, the more we, we take in of that, the more we, we find that, that that is everything that we need. The sufficiency of Christ. We also then... Um, death to self is the second critical component of this giving and receiving cycle. Again, farmers understand the value of dead plants, maybe more than, than anybody else. The value of a plant that dies. Uh, the soil is made up of a certain percent of organic matter. And, and I don't know what all the numbers are, but, but higher organic matter makes much better soil. My brother who does gardening, farming, says that, that he likes if his soil looks like chocolate cake. It's, it's kind of fluffy, it's very dark, it has a lot of organic matter in it. That really is dead plants. It's just plants dying. And, you know, those plants take in that carbon dioxide, and, and the plants are then, however that conversion process all takes place, but the, the plants are made of carbon, and when they die, they release that carbon into the soil and it then benefits the plants that come along after them. So there's a death to self that needs to take place, a dying that is of value in a life-giving church. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 through 12. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Now, Paul faced the reality of death at times and the difficult things he went through in his endeavor to take the gospel out to the world. We may not have been be faced with that in the same way that he was, physical death, his body, uh, the threat of, of his life actually being taken. But he's talking about more than just that here. He's talking about his life, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. There was this continual sacrifice that he was making of giving up, of putting to death the, the sinful desires. 
that he was always carrying with him. Yes, he was persecuted, struck down, destroyed. He, was, he felt pressure from all around him. And, and all these expectations uh, for what he was called to do and what he wanted to do in the churches. And it was all in what he calls an earthen vessel or a, a, a body, just like we have it. And we, we fail. We sometimes don't have the strength to do what we know we should do. And sometimes we, we are just, we're, we give in to temptations and we, we fail. As, as human beings, we have a sinful nature that we have to constantly deal with. We have this earthen vessel that just does not always have the strength that it should, both to face temptation and, and physically in, in doing work. But that is an important part of a life-giving church, putting to death the sinful nature. Carnal desires need to be put to death so that our bodies display the life of Jesus, so that our bodies, our lives, are actually alive and display that to the world around us. The carnal desires need to be put to death. That's why we constantly need to remind ourselves of what Christ did on the cross and that he died for us. Our earthen vessels have weaknesses and failures, sometimes simply just to remind us of how much we need to depend upon the strength and grace that Christ gives us. So the true critical components are relying on the sufficiency of Christ and dying to self. What then, what difference does it make then in our giving and receiving if, if that is a part of our lives? Imagine with me, if you could, the, the reality of, you know, I don't think any of us live in this reality all the time where we're constantly dependent upon Christ and when we always put to death what should be put to death in our bodies. In the, in the reality of Christ's sufficiency and my death to sin, how, how is this giving and receiving cycle look? It's so often marred by sin. One of the things that is important, or I think that will be very different in, in our giving and receiving cycle, maybe compared to what people uh, what unbelievers or, or non-Christians may practice is that there's a generosity. There's a generosity, and generosity encourages life. There's a willingness, there needs to be a willingness to give more than what seems fair or more than what is expected or more than what we expect to get in return. I believe that will promote life in a church when there's a generosity Proverbs eleven twenty four through 26 says, There's one who scatters, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. When we can give, scatter, be generous, water others, I think that's just simply the picture of, of pouring water on a plant to make it grow. We will receive in return. God will bless us in return. And we also will receive all that we need. Not necessarily, our expectation shouldn't be to receive as much as we gave, 
but we will receive all that we need through the sufficiency of Christ. In a church, we only receive if someone else gives. Are you willing to give to the extent that you expect to receive in the church? Are you willing to give to the extent that you expect to receive? And what kind of fragrance will we give? Again, turning to chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. What kind of fragrance will we give? I'll read on there um, in verse 16. I'm not sure where the words are now that I'm looking for. To one we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? But we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, not as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Uh, I'm not finding the verses or the words I wanted there, but there's somewhere it talks about a thankfulness to the glory of God that will be given off. The fragrance that that we give should give in a life-giving church is that God will be glorified and there will be a thankfulness. There will be a gratefulness for what God has done and he will be glorified. This cycle never ends. The work of the church never stops until Christ returns. We shouldn't anticipate it to stop. Sometimes we give thinking that eventually we can sit back and rest. But this cycle never ends. There will always be a need to give as well as receive. Second Corinthians four verses fourteen through fifteen. Okay, that's that's the verses I, I wanted earlier. Um, and I want to read in the New Living Translation. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to Himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. God's grace reaches out to more and more people when we give and when we receive. More and more people will experience his grace and it will result in great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more honor and glory. May that be what motivates us in the church and what gives us, makes us a life-giving church is that we want God's grace to reach more and more people. As a result of that, it's not us that receives the glory, but God will be glorified. Let's kneel for prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can open your word and you again give us this opportunity to study it, to you've given us understanding that we can interpret it and you speak to us through your life giving word. Thank you for the church here, for the plan that you have for us, the work that you have for us to do. Thank you for those in the past who have been faithful in the beginnings of this church and over the years, many who have given and given and you have blessed us, Lord. You have allowed us to receive many blessings from you. I pray that we could be faithful, that we could be diligent and that we will continue to be a life-giving church as we give and as we receive from you. May your blessing be upon each one. 
here today. And may you draw us closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ken, I'd like to ask.